Welcome to The Self-Made Theory, the podcast that's all about innovating, overcoming and prospering. We interview founders, entrepreneurs, innovators, CEOs and other exciting people about their amazing business journey. Over to your host, Ben Campbell, for this week's episode. How do you move from being an aerospace engineer working on missile systems to running your own game development company? Well, that's part of the story of Deneth, who's the founder of Foxy Games. Foxy produces mobile-based games that sell all across the world and some which lead their category. It's a pretty fascinating story. We cover a lot in this interview on how to start and build a company. So if you've got a side hack going on, then this is well worth the listen. There's some really great topics that come out in this interview, including how to leave a stable career path and put yourself out there to pursue your passion. We talk about what's involved in developing a game, which is a pretty complicated process, and how an entrepreneur moves from doing it all themselves to having to rely on their team. If you've got a creative itch that needs to be scratched, then I'm sure you're going to enjoy Deneth's story. My name is Ben Campbell, and this is The Self-Made Theory. Deneth Abanayaka, welcome to The Self-Made Theory. Uh, thanks, Ben. It's great to be here. So you're the founder of Foxy Games? Yes. Let's start with your elevator pitch. Sure. So Foxy Games builds original IP mobile games. So we take the product all the way from conceptualization to development to marketing, user acquisition, that whole sort of pipeline. Yeah. So essentially we're like a, a one-stop shop for original mobile game development. So our staff count at the moment is around 30 FTE, and we've actually released a title called Horse Riding Tales, which is the number one mobile horse riding game on the App Store right now. And yeah, we have a whole bunch of exciting new projects coming up over the next few months as well. All right. I have to address the elephant in the room. You're an aerospace engineer by background. Yeah. What on earth are you doing running, <laughs> founding <laughs> and running a mobile game development company? That's a fair question. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to go back to the beginning? Of sure. That? How, did that, how did that happen? Because I'm sure people would be interested in understanding how you make such a big career transition. Yeah. So to give a bit of background, I've always really enjoyed building things, uh, whether it's you know little films, short films, programming on the computer, games, whatever any kind of digital media where there's an end user experience and I can see how users interact with whatever I've built. I've always loved that ever since I was you know, eight or something. So back in high school, I got you know, a few friends together and built little short movies and, and published them. So all that kind of stuff. By the time I made like a, a career choice, I went into aerospace engineering at the University of Adelaide because I felt it was, I guess, more of a stable career path. And I've always in, in, been interested in space and technology and, and those kind of things as well. And there's a lot of that happening in Adelaide at the moment, Especially isn't now, yeah. 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 So, you know, it, it was, so I, after graduating from university, I went into Department of Defense as a missile system analyst. Yeah. And yeah, I did a whole lot of weapon system analysis and a whole bunch of stuff I can't really talk about. But 
I also started developing an interest in business, online business particularly, things that can generate passive income like um, affiliate marketing or information products. You know, I'd, I dipped my toes in all sorts of those little areas. And So that was just side hacks, you know, outside of work. Just- yeah, yeah, definitely. Just just seeing how much I could learn really. I didn't really expect much success and I didn't have much success in those areas either. Um, however, you know, I guess Foxy is the fusion of that interest in building things and that business interest as well. Okay, so you're, you're sitting inside of defense. Mm-hmm. You're doing a whole bunch of stuff you can't talk about. Yes. <laughs> I assume it was interesting. Oh, yeah. Why did you decide to do, why did you decide to leave that? Yeah. So after a few years working in defense, that creative itch came back because I wasn't doing it day to day and I, things that I'd done when I was younger, like uh, building films and movies and things. So, so was the role really around yeah, analyzing work on stuff that had already been built by yeah, others? Yeah, it was analysis of yeah. existing systems pretty much. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it wasn't, it was a very technical role, which is something I think is part of, is part of my skill set, which is useful to what I'm doing now as well. Yeah, but it wasn't that sort of creating building element. So yeah, I, I started uh, building a few small mobile games because, you know, the, the, path to market was really clear. Um, you know, it's it's fairly simple to get started. It's very low cost. So once I'd built a few mobile games, actually my first mobile game that I built, I think I spent, you know, three, four months building it. I coded the whole thing. I, I released it. I think I did all the art as well. And it grossed about, I don't know, $150 or something. <laughs> it's not bad for four, four months' work. Yeah, it's a great return <laughs> on investment. But yeah, I did learn a huge amount uh, in that process. So, yeah, everything from programming, uh, coding to, I guess, how you go about marketing and that, that product market fit and all those kind of different aspects. So, I guess, eight or nine games later, I started to see a bit more of that financial traction because I was continually iterating and developing my skills in those areas. So, were you iterating into new games or were you modifying the games that you already had? Or Yeah, I was iterating into new games. Yeah. Um, I think that was going to get me... Because the initial game wasn't a success by any means, you know, I wanted to try and find that success. And yeah, I didn't think I'd be able to find it with that first game. So I kept building new games in different genres as well, trying all sorts of different things. And then, yeah, once I started understanding monetization and product market fit and all those different aspects, I started um, seeing more financial traction. And that's when I was thinking, oh, so maybe there's a chance for me to uh, take the leap and, and start and do this full time. Yeah, right. Yeah. So where did you learn all those terms, product market fit? Where did you learn about those skills? Was that just by making mistakes along the way or did you have people to, you know, to talk to, to mentor you? Yeah, I didn't have any particular mentors. It was really just trial by error mm. and trial by just, and just doing it really. Mm. Um, there's a lot of information out there on the internet about everything. <laughs> good and bad. Yeah, yeah, good and bad. That's right. But as you uh, read about something and then you try it for yourself and you can kind of see like what worked and what didn't. And, you know, you start making connections uh, for yourself about, you know, what the direction you need to go in is. So what period of time are we talking about? Of those, you know, eight or nine games, how long did that take you from the first game through to deciding to pull the plug on defense and do this full time? I think it was probably about three years because okay. you can imagine I had very limited time. Yep. I was working full time um, and it was just something I was doing on the weekends, uh, after hours. So, yeah. And I was also working mainly by myself. Mm-hmm. So building entire products and releasing them, marketing them as a one-man show 
yeah, it, it does take quite a bit of time. We were talking just before off mic about Will Bishop, who I interviewed a little yeah. while ago. Uh, he's 17, he's probably 18 by the time this podcast is released. And you said, I wish I'd started earlier than that, uh, yeah. earlier than, than where you are now. You're still a young guy, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, if you look back at that three years, yep. would you have done anything differently if you could have in terms of accelerating your learning or your experience through that three years? Yeah, so sometimes we as game developers, we build things because we kind of we can or, or we really want to. So, you know, our interests kind of take over uh, what we're building, which is fair enough because it is like a passion-driven industry, right? However, if we're looking to grow a business as soon as possible, then you really need to treat each product that you're developing as its own business. So you need to look at, pretty much you need to ask yourself all the questions that you would if you were starting a business, like what are the comp- what's the competition? How much are they grossing? How many competitors are there? All those kind of questions. And those are things that I learned slowly over time. Yeah. And I didn't change my mindset for quite a while during that whole process. And even once I'd started Foxy, there were still those kind of mistakes that I was making. So yeah, I, I guess um, getting into that mindset sooner was always going to be helpful. But Having said that, it does take a while to learn mm. those kind of things. So you so you launch out into the deep. You leave defence. Yeah. Is it just you, or have you hired some people? Like, how did that first start? So once I'd left uh, defence, that's when I made the leap into actually hiring people. Before that, it was an entirely one man show. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, hired two developers. So how did you fund that? Um, at the, initially, um, yeah. so we had an investor support okay. as well. Yeah, yeah right. in order to fund the initial stages of our growth, which was really helpful because I had just taken, um, I guess, you know, left my job, which was this really stable income, and I didn't want to necessarily have to dip in my, into my savings a huge amount because you never know how things are going to work out. Yeah, so where, where did you find investors from? Uh, the US. Yeah. yeah. And so did you do a whole pitch thing? Did you, how did you, how did you find your no, investors? No, it was more of a natural progression from pretty much a, a guy that I had met online and sold my previous games to. Yeah. Um, we started discussing the possibility of starting this business together, essentially. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's pretty lucky. Most, most people I talk to who've gone down the investor cycle, it's a lot harder than that. Yeah. I mean, investors look for previous success and I had some financial traction already at that point, which makes things a lot easier. So I wasn't necessarily pitching a concept where, um, you know, I think this could make money. It was more like it probably will make money, but how can we, um, how can we scale this as quickly as possible? Yeah. Okay. And, and look, we all know that investors invest not only in concept and ideas Mm -hmm. and what's already been built, but they invest in the person. Yeah. Another person who's going to run it and given you had a relationship, I'm sure that was important for you. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Definitely. So you hire a couple of developers and off you go. Yep. So we built our first game, which is done in a team of three. At this point, I was doing a lot of programming as well, helping the guys with you know all aspects of development, pretty much using the skills I was using prior to when I was still working in, in defense, yeah. essentially. Um, so we built an equestrian-related game. Yeah. It wasn't Horse Riding Tales. It was called Horse Paradise. And that game, it was a fairly simple wild horse online simulator, right? So you, you play as a horse in this open world environment and you take on quests and all these kind of things. So it was, it was pretty good. It was fairly small scale um, compared to what, the kind of things that we do now, but it was a leap up from what I had done yeah. um, by myself. So where did the idea for that come from? <laughs> so my little sister, because <laughs> it does, it does seem a little left of field. Yep. And I do have to ask you, how many horse riding t- 
simulation type games are out there because you say that you're number one in that space. Yeah. yeah. Is there a lot? There are a lot. Yeah, yes, right, okay. Yes. So my little sister, she's actually a horse rider. Okay. Right. So having seen the passion that she has around that topic yeah. and her friends as well, and then seeing the kind of games that are available for her to play in that space, I was like, yeah, there are some big players that are, you know, dominating the market share, but there's a huge amount of space where we could come in and, and build something decent that's actually um, able to compete, you know. So that's where the idea came from. It was from just observing yeah. what was available for that target market, which I had accessible to me because she was my sister, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> so um, essentially we were building games for my sister. <laughs> <laughs> Not, not sure that's the line you want to put in a business plan, but no. <laughs> but, I, but I think the difference is, you know, when you talked earlier about developers often build things that they want mm-hmm. themselves. Yeah, that's great. But there's a lot of bias there. Yes, isn't there a that's lot of right. bias? And yeah, you've really got to target market of one you. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when you start looking at other people and what what they're missing uh, and what the opportunity is, that's a, that's a difference, even if it is your sister. Exactly. As long as you're looking at your ideal target customer and trying to fulfill what they really want out of a game, then I think that's the right approach. Because like you said, there's a huge amount of bias into what we want to build and why we think we can build it and why we want it. And if you're not looking at the competition and the landscape of existing games as well, then I think you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice as well. um, If you want this thing to grow and have Mm. traction. Yeah, absolutely. So now you've got three main games out in market today uh yeah is that yeah yeah so we have quite a few games at the moment we've we iterate really quickly so we tend to release you know the production cycle for a game can be six to eight months so we do have quite a few releases so when you say production cycle so you're talking from idea through to release or through to release yeah yeah, on the app store and, and google play yeah yeah uh, so that's about six months. So we have quite a few different games and concepts, but in terms of main games, so we have Horse Riding Tales yep. um, and we have uh, Dino Tamers, which is a dinosaur take on a similar sort of concept. Uh, and we have some other smaller games as well. Mm. But we have some larger scale games coming up over the next few months as well. Okay. On the same platform, on the mobile platform? On the mobile platform. Yeah. Because the idea is always to try and take that next leap in terms of quality and um, sophistication and production value so that we can grab onto those bigger opportunities. We don't just want to stagnate and do the same thing over and over and over. Yeah. So that's the mindset I had when I went from building my own games to building games as a team. Um, one of the main reasons I wanted to do that was to be able to compete against larger players with bigger, with bigger games. Mm. Yeah. How important is it when you build a new game? And so if I look at, you know, horse riding tails versus, you know, Dino or Dino Tamers, Mm. how important is it to leverage the experience you've had in one game into the other? Uh, I I think it's very important, but I think it's also important that you don't just reskin one game and, and sort of try and come up with a, a, a new, you try and release a new game, you know, like a sh- wolf in sheep's clothing sort of thing, right? And, and I imagine that's a, that's a that's attractive to do because you know if you look easy. at yeah, yeah. it's easy, right? <laughs> if you look at horse riding tails, I assume it p- mm-hmm. pitches to a particular demographic. Yeah, you know, to skin that into you know a, a game that works for boys, young boys, right? Would be would be easy to do. Yeah, it would definitely be very easy. Uh, but you're not adding a lot of value 
to the I guess the product by doing that or to your brand. Yeah. So the way I like to look at leveraging existing code base and things like that is to take that understanding that you you and the team have learned and trying to I guess push that into the new game as much as possible, but yep. make sure that the new game um, has a I guess a new theme, um, an entirely different core loop. That's what the player does day to day in the game, just so that it is something I guess an entirely new experience. It's not familiar. You know, you feel like you're playing a different game, yep. even if it is, even if it has similarities. You don't want it to be too similar. Yeah. So, can you talk to what the game development cycle looks like? Because I imagine there's a bunch of people listening who either not gamers themselves or yeah. don't understand how complex it is. Yep. Can you talk to just sort of the general steps on, on hey, we've got an idea mm. or even coming up with the idea? So coming up with the idea is a lot of that um, analysis that I was talking about before and making sure that, you know, you're going to be able to compete um, in whatever it is that you're doing. So that is just a whole lot of research. Essentially, you're looking at, competitor apps, how much they're grossing, um, how many of them there are, uh, what, trying to find out, you know, what kind of potential your app has in this space. But once you've made that decision, uh, it comes down to the product development teams, essentially. So these are usually coders, artists, art managers, uh, UI, UX designers, um, all this kind of, these kind of skill sets, right? Yeah. So the, the programmers, the coders build the fundamental systems of the game. Uh, so, you know, the camera system, for example, making sure that it's, you know, pointing and in a certain direction and able to rotate around the player. You know, that's an entirely coding related problem. The artists and art managers are, are more so looking to get uh, art assets into the game. So art assets are 3D models, uh, textures. So pretty much things that, you know, make your character stand out and make the game look good from a graphical point of view. Now, whether UI, UX people come into this is... And UI, UX being user experience, user, yeah. Sorry, user interface, user, user experience. experience. Yep. Yeah. Is trying to come at the game from a customer-centered perspective. So how would someone interact with this product? Um, would it be clear what the next action they need to take is or would they get confused? So uh, these people need to work... Um, I guess, integrated with all the other teams to make sure that the game is usable um, and fun as well. Yeah. And there are other disciplines that, that come into this whole thing as well, like especially on the marketing side. Uh, it's a very multi-talented, multi-disciplined um, yeah, area. Yeah. yeah. Are you a busy executive with not enough time to work on your business and fit in physical exercise into your day? As a business coach and mentor, many of the executives I work with understand that their most precious resource is time. On top of running their business and the demands of life in general, the challenge for many is fitting exercise into their busy lives. Harvard Business Review indicates your mental firepower as an executive is directly linked to your physical regimen. Exercise brings improved concentration, sharper memory, faster learning, prolonged mental stamina, enhance creativity and lower stress and that doesn't include all the physical health benefits as well in response to this we've launched self-made cycling our business and executive coaching services conducted not in the boardroom but on the bike 
it's a brilliant way to combine all the benefits of working on your business challenges while bringing you the physiological benefits of exercise. Years ago, a lot of business was conducted on the golf course. Today, it's time to handle your business on the handlebars. We cater for all levels of executives and cycling experience. Beginner, pro, entrepreneur, manager, CEO, weekly, fortnightly or monthly, we've got you covered. We've launched this service in January at the Tour Down Under in Adelaide, but can work with executives anywhere in the world using your smart trainer and platforms like Zwift. And don't forget to chat to your accountant. Did I hear someone say tax deduction? Visit our website, selfmadecycling.com.au or call 1300theory. Business and cycling, it doesn't get any better. So you mentioned before that you've had about 30 people on the team roughly. I imagine that's grown a fair bit over the last few years. Yeah, well, we started as uh, three people two and a half years ago. So it's, I don't even want to calculate that growth rate, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we're here in Adelaide, yeah. um, which um, we're in uh, the Games Plus uh, building where, where you guys are co-located here. Mm-hmm. What's going on in Adelaide with gaming? Why are you still here? Well, the main reason I'm here is because I've always lived in Adelaide. It's a great place to live. um, And that's where I was always going to set up shop if I was going to do that. But now having done that for a couple of years, I can see, you know, it's a great place to do business, really. So we have this Game Plus facility, which is a a co-working shared space for all game developers. I think we have sufficient talent as well. So we haven't had huge amounts of problems in hiring especially developers and we've actually managed to bring people down from interstate as well and yeah we so have attract, you've attracted interstate talent to we come have, and yeah. live, live here in Adelaide yeah so about 30% of our developers are probably have come from interstate yeah and what and what's happening at you know university levels or you know industry um, training education how are you feeding how's the industry feeding you yeah so um, AIE runs a whole bunch of uh, game development uh, courses um, and yeah a lot of our graduates have actually come from from AIE in terms of the industry I'm sure you've heard of Mighty Kingdom the biggest South Australian game developer you know they sort of feed into that process a lot as well yeah you guys don't walk across the hall and pitch staff from each other do you <laughs> no no that hasn't <laughs> happened actually <laughs> so when you look at your company now you've obviously had a bunch of success how do you how do you measure success yeah um that's a good question. Is it downloads? Is it revenue? Is it profitability? Is it customer feedback? Like, or is it all of those? Yeah, I'm very, very product focused in this sort of sense. So I think it does come down to revenue and retention because retention is essentially, you know, if I downloaded the game or if a user downloads the game on day zero, how many people will still be playing after day one, after day seven and so on. So it's how engaging your game is essentially. Um, so you can't really have, you can't really just look at revenue without retention yeah. or retention without revenue because these are both really important for the long-term success and growth of your game. Yeah. So I tend to look at the company on a sort of game-by-game game basis in terms of the products that we've released and how well they're doing because that's going to essentially influence how fast we can grow over the next year or two years you know, if, if the games that we have out now aren't really doing very well, then that's not a good sign for the company. So I'm very product focused in how I look at metrics and, yep. and what that means for the company as well. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had any big flops, big mistakes? We have definitely had flops, but they weren't huge mistakes, luckily. <laughs> <laughs> so we released a, released a fish game about 
I think one and a half years ago. This was a fish collecting game. It was a very different genre than you know we had done in the past, and we hadn't really done a huge amount of research into where this product is going to fit and compete in the landscape, right? But we actually so why did why did that happen? Because you've obviously talked about that a few times about yeah. how important the research is. Why didn't that happen for this product? I think yeah, probably just got overconfident to be yeah. honest. Yeah. yeah, and that that can happen. Of course it does. <laughs> of course it does. Yeah. And it, and also we had the certainty that we weren't putting a huge amount of resources into the project. It was just something that, oh, we'll try it. You know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, then we can just move on to the other thing. Yeah. But we actually developed a really polished and nice looking game, but it's just that the audience wasn't quite there for it. So, yeah, I mean, it, that's why it's important to iterate quickly because I guess if you're going to fail, then you want to fail fast without dumping a whole bunch of resources into it. And then you can learn from those mistakes and iterate. Yeah. Yeah. So what other, I mean, along the way, if you could look back over the last three years, what would you do differently knowing what you know now? Well, I would have built horse riding tails sooner. <laughs> <laughs> because that that's the game that really, I guess, changed um, the standing of the company really uh, in terms of where we are and what kind of opportunities we're looking to latch on to next. Could you technically, could you have done that though? Like, could you, you know, did you put off developing it or Yeah, did because you... we were growing incrementally. Right. So we were growing as a team of three, whereas Horse Riding Tales was developed as a team of about five to eight, I yeah. think. So we couldn't have actually done that. However, if we'd latched onto that concept sooner, you know, we might have hired more aggressively and, and sort of, you know, done that. Um, it is sooner, interesting. It, I mean, that that, tie, yeah. that does come up a lot, right? Yeah. In in a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, four or five years into their journey, mm. that they should have been more aggressive at the beginning, yeah. more aggressive with salespeople, more aggressive with development, more aggressive yeah. um, because they see the potential missed opportunity. Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, an interesting learning there. I think for many. Having thought about it, there's other than just the product opportunity, also the way I was running the company has changed a bit okay. over the years because you can imagine running a, a three-person studio versus running a 30 or 25-person studio is going to be very different. Of course. Um, and so, it'll be different again when it's 60 people and exactly, 70 people. Yeah, I mean, we need a whole, then, whole bunch of new things. Yep, you know, that's right. New structures and all sorts of things in place by then. Yeah, that's right. So when I was running a, a team of three, you know, I was doing the day-to-day schedules and, and development and um, pretty much all the day, day-to-day management of the team was taken care of by me. But that didn't give me a whole lot of time to, I guess, think about the growth of the company, what the next opportunity is going to be or the roadmap for future games. None of that sort of high leverage stuff, which I need to be on top of. So that stunted growth for a little yeah. while probably, right? Uh, so when did when did the light bulb go on? When, <laughs> when when did you work that out? When I realized I didn't really have time to do this stuff and how much. So if we wanted to build those next level games, then it was gonna something was gonna have to change. I just wasn't really sure what. Yeah. So what we've done now is that the teams day to day they actually take care of the the day to day management, right? The scheduling, the uh, the day to day sprints, um, even the design decisions that go into the games themselves are handled within the teams. I only provide like roadmap level guidance, really, generally. Um, so that frees up a huge amount of my time, firstly. And also, it gives teams a lot more autonomy, responsibility. And ownership. And right? ownership. Yeah, mm. that's right. Um, so I think it, it works think out well. And do you think that's turned up in the quality of what you're putting out now? I hope so. I hope so, yeah. 
Because when uh, you know uh, uh, one of our developers can say to a friend, you know, look at this feature. I, I thought of that. I built it, and it's 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 you know mine. You know, uh, I hope that you know does give people motivation and encouragement. Mm. Yeah. So I see more of what I do is as guidance rather than um, management. Even though there's a bit of management, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. So what do you hope for the future? So if you fast forward, so you've been two and a half, three years now. Yeah. So if you could fast forward two and a half, three years into the future, where do you, where's your vision? Where do you see yourself? I'm always focused on growth if it's possible, but I think it's also important not to grow just for growth's sake. Like growth should open up new opportunities that weren't available if we didn't grow essentially. So we have two exciting titles, like I mentioned before, coming out. And if, if they do well, then we'll probably look to expand again um, so that we can support these games and build additional ones as well. Yeah. So what's the time frame around release for those two? Uh, over the next few months. So one, as you came in, I was like, we're looking to release this this week and the other one will probably be next month. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if, you know, if they do well and it looks like we can latch on to even bigger opportunities, then I would love to grow again. But then, like we talked about before, all that management style and everything's going to have to shift and you know there's going to be a, a challenge and a journey there as well so why is growth so important because from my point of view it's just the level at which you can compete on the market so if you look at you can have hits as a as a smaller studio but being having access to more resources gives you a higher likelihood of having hits. And we're in a very sort of hit-driven industry where, you know, if you if one in three of your titles is, is going to be a hit, then you're actually doing really well. So that's assuming, you know, you have two games out of three which are actually failures, and that's a good hit rate. Um, and so how, <laughs> my, my, most, most people would look at that and go, actually, that's not so great. Um, but, yeah, but why is it different in the in this industry, and how and how resilient are people through those failures? Um, so, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, as for why it's important, it's simply because of the fact that hits usually make up for all the misses you've had in the past, because the hits are usually big, essentially. Like they'll they'll more than cover lost revenue yep. and expenses and so on. Yeah, so it's because the competitiveness of the mobile game landscape. There's so many new games coming out by so many different studios. Yeah, so I think that just kind of lends itself to that kind of model. Mm. And the good thing is, is you don't have to bury them in a pit like they used to do in the old game days. Remember the, I'm not sure if you know the story about E.T.? No. It was a game that was built, this is, you know, probably 20 years ago, maybe yeah. even longer now, and <laughs> apparently the rumour is that they it flopped so badly. It was yeah. a cartridge-based game. Yeah. Um, that they ended up putting them all on the back of semis and taking them down to the tip and burying them in there. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be a very enlightening moment for the developers that put years into it. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's talk about, you know, staff and developers when there is a failure. How do they cope with that? Um, I think people are just generally happy to move on to the, the next thing. Mm. Uh, where possible, always like to support the project because it's a, you know, games are supposed to have a, a long life cycle to sort of get the most value out of them. So if people have been developing a game for uh, six to 12 months, I'm sure they'd love to continue growing that game and seeing where it can take them. But I think they also understand that if something didn't quite work out, um, then we need to keep moving on and trying something different. And I think people are excited by the possibility of working on like more successful games. 
So if something didn't quite turn out well, then I'm sure they'd love to be part of something that that did. Mm. Yeah. But we do keep moving people through unsuccessful titles into bigger opportunities because we have to. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely. So let's talk about where your customers are. Obviously, you're an Adelaide game development company, but Mm. your customers are global. Yeah. Uh, where, where, Where are they? Where are they based? All around the world, really. Um, then every every part of the world. And so, when you're looking at new products, do you look at geography in terms of what's important to uh, to customers in that in each geography? We try to as much as possible, but it is a bit difficult to predict that kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, but to the extent that we can, uh, we always try and target these uh, tier one countries as much as we can. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we're recording this in February 2020. When we catch up again in February 2023, <laughs> <laughs> what does Foxy Games look like? Well, I can hope that we'll be at least 50 to 60 staff. That uh, I'm just going to pluck a number out of the air and say that that's something that we can aim for. Yeah. But actually, I'll have a better idea in the next few months after our <laughs> next releases. <laughs> but, you know, always, always keen, keen to grow and see how far we can take this thing. That's why I sort of started it. And yeah, as long as it seems like there's opportunities, I'll try and take it. And grow it up. So, what advice would you give a young, you know, person who's looking at getting into the gaming industry? I think, in general, what's helped me a great deal is just to do it yourself first. Just to have that experience across the board in art, in programming, you know, in technical areas, and also in, you know, I guess marketing as well. Having that experience has allowed me to build the company faster than I would have otherwise because I, I knew how the pieces fit together. So I would always say if you're looking to get into a, a, game, a, a field like games, just, just start building games and know how they're built. Yeah. And then, you know, if, if you want to take it to the next level, then you need to learn more skills beyond that. But that's going to help you get from a one-man show to a three- or a five-man show. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So when you, when you look at the staff that come to work for you, do mm-hmm. they have that broad, his, broad depth of experience or are they, you know, hey, this person's an art person, you know, this person's a developer, this person's a, you know, whatever? Uh, yeah, so there's various levels of experience. Some are, are graduates uh, and, and some have more experience. But one common thread that most have is that they all have side projects. There's always things that... Um, they're working on on, on the side yeah. for themselves, yeah. not just the company. Yeah. And I think that's good because it develops their own skills, um, I guess, independently uh, in addition to what they do here. And does that resonate with you because that's where you came from? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's always good to see that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah, I guess I started this because I enjoyed that building process, right? And I'm, I'm right in the middle of that now, so I'm, I'm having a lot of fun. So I guess that's kind of what I wanted to get out of this this process. Yeah. yeah. Look, I, I love seeing industries like this, mm. you know, develop and thrive in, in, in Adelaide. I just think it's, fant- I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I yeah. had to move interstate to, you know, to start my career, you know. I was sorry to accelerate my career 20 years ago. Yeah. And now when I look at, you know, the young people who are coming through, they don't necessarily have to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, there are some specialisations where you might need to, but... Yeah. You know, the world and the collaboration tools that we've got and all sorts of things, I think, make uh, make doing business out of here so much easier. Especially online business, you know, there's so many opportunities to do that, to start that at any point in your career as well yeah. and then seeing where, you can, where it takes you. Fantastic. Yeah. Mate, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. 
We'll include in the show notes how to contact Foxy Games and where to download your games from, etc. Oh, thank you. And look forward to uh, look forward to hearing about the next two and seeing the success that comes from those. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thanks. I don't know about you, but I love hearing stories about how someone has had a complete career flip to follow their passion or side hack. If you want to find out more about Deneth or how to connect on social media and where to download Foxy apps, then head to our website, theselfmadetheory.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, keep innovating, overcoming and prospering.